Welcome to Fuller Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here at Freightways Live at home. I'm here with uh, Peter. Peter, you run Carrier Direct. Uh, how are things going in this COVID environment? Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. We've had a lot of uh, we've had a lot of clients reach out and and try to really help help them understand how to manage their how to manage their teams, how to manage their technology right now. Um, there's there's a lot going on, and and what what's been good for us is that um, we found that it's given some folks a time to reset and think about some of the strategic conversations that maybe get get sidelined with uh, just some of the day-to-day noise that, that happens. Now, what is Career Direct? Uh, it's an organization um, that I know, but perhaps people watching the show aren't closely familiar with. Yeah, so we are a consulting and technology delivery firm entirely focused on logistics and transportation. We work with three primary customer bases. One would be capacity providers, carriers, 3PLs, freight brokers. Second bucket, um, would be shippers, you know, retailers, manufacturers, distributors, and then third would be the the, tra- the technology companies that serve this space, the tech companies like FreightWaves and like Project 44 that that serve the transportation and logistics market. And what we do is we help we help people, uh, we really help move fast and and bring broader market perspective um, to help with things like process improvement and organizational design and actually helping build technology strategy and, and long-term software. So you guys are, are really going in and applying a, uh, a big consulting approach, but taking on and helping companies tackle uh, incremental challenges, but really focused on transportation. A market that, you know, Accenture and Deloitte, really a lot, of, there's very few transportation companies that can uh, write those checks as big as they are. You guys are doing it for uh, a much larger uh, audience uh, that tends to be smaller than you would see with the big four accounting firms. Yeah, exactly. Firms. Yeah, it's spot on. And I think, you know, what, I mean, you know, my background, I worked at Accenture for a few years. I felt like there's a lot of waste in the business in the org. And I think some of it, I mean, I remember being my first year out of college, my first project being billed as a financial industry expert you know, uh, and I, I graduated three weeks before without any training. So, you know, I think our, our value prop is we've got people on our team that have felt the pain of brokers and carriers and shippers, and they know what the, what the problems are. So, so what we do is we, we, we don't, people don't have to pay us to get smart on their business or their industry. We've got all this context because we work with so many players in the space that we can just, that we can get focused on really where the value is. So you're going directly into the companies, helping them uh, improve the profitability, improve their operations, and and really perform. But it's specific to transportation and supply chain, much different yeah. than bringing in a large uh, traditional business consulting firm uh, that's just there to learn about your business. You spend weeks teaching them, which they're billing you at the same time, just uh, just to get them caught up to speed. You guys have specialized expertise, and you see a lot of the transportation companies that you go and visit. Yeah, yes, exactly. And we, you know, we have we have team members that have worked at companies like Echo and Global Trans, so we we know how a lot of these businesses operate going into it. So, Peter, what do you? I mean, where do you see the biggest differentiator between high performing companies and companies that are are not performing well? What is the number one? Uh, thing that you guys identify that's consistent among those high performers? Oh wow, that's the what that's a that's a loaded question, but I'm happy to answer it. Uh, 
I, th- I think it's all speed, speed to market and flexibility and, and, and their ability. It's a, it's, it's a business's ability to react to the environment around them. And I think, I think that COVID-19 has actually been a great example and, and, and has put a spotlight on the businesses that are architected to move quickly, make fast decisions. I mean, we had some clients who spent the first two weeks of the pandemic going to every Best Buy within 100 miles uh, buying laptops. I mean, it, it was outrageous. And um, and there are other businesses who went straight to they they flipped they flipped the switch and they could work remotely and they they were up and running servicing their customers within days. Um, and so that that that's really been the biggest differentiator for success for us that we've seen is is how quickly a business can make decisions and move. And is it I mean is it vi- the the ones that are you described as agile that were able to react? Is size have anything to do with that? No, and actually, it's uh, it's not. My opinion is my opinion and experience, and what we've observed is that size becomes an excuse. Um, if you have the right leadership team in place and the right organizational culture that 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 embraces learning and and making fast decisions and failure and mistakes, and then and then and then forward progress, uh, I've actually seen. I've seen billion-dollar organizations move faster than $50 million or smaller organizations simply because of mindset, uh, simply because of mindset. It's a cultural element to it, right? And it's it's whether they're positioned to sort of take in the data and then have a plan. Um, and, and I know just in uh, uh, transportation in Chattanooga is that there were companies that big that reacted uh, quickly, and there were some that were small that waited really until after uh, basically the city came out with a plan and started shutting things down is when they were started reacting. And it seems like, uh, to your point, that being aware and informed is as important uh, as anything in this market. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think, um, you know, informed is a really great, is a great point. Like, how... I always try to look at like how aware how aware is a leadership team, both of their own business, their own strengths, their own shortcomings, but also of the broader environment around them. How aware are they of what their customers actually want? Are are, are they telling their customers what they need, or are they listening to what their customers need? Likewise, you know, for the intermediaries and how they bro- how they work with their capacity providers. Um, but I, I think awareness is awareness and and access to information and willingness to take in that new information is just so critical in, in 2020. We've seen a ton of bank, we, not only in the truckload side, we've seen a ton of bankruptcies, but it, you know, last year it seemed like the freight brokerage industry uh, had a pretty good year. Uh, spot rates were, you know, relatively low and declining at a time when contract rates stayed steady. So that it meant higher margins for the freight brokerage industry. But this year, there's been a lot of layoffs, particularly when COVID uh, really took the wind out of the market. I'm curious, what is your forecast for the rest of the year in terms of freight brokers? Yeah, so we we have um, I have a I'll 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 give a disclaimer that I have a fairly pessimistic view on how the rest of the year looks. Um, I think that there is like the unemployment keeps going up. I think that it's going to be a slow and steady burn to get back to where we were. And so while I think that things could pick can pick back up, um, the economy is going to take some time to rebound. And I, I just wonder, 
I'm not smart enough on macroeconomics and how and how interconnected all of these aspects are. But I think I think that brokers and this is my advice for any business right now. People need to be really aware of of their cash, of their cash position, cash flow management, and their ability to sustain to sustain their business. Um, you know, I, I think that this goes. This is an, an input into the agility facets, right? I mean, it's it's you, you need to be aware of of your cash position and don't run your business on accrual or run your business on accrual, but make day to day decisions on the cash cash position and cash forecast and and be conservative in your plans. That's yeah, the advantage opinion. freight the advantage freight brokers have over the asset uh, industry is that they they can downsize quickly. Um, yeah. They you know except for office leases and software applications, um, they're really the only cost they have is payroll. Uh, and so, or fixed cost they have is payroll. So it's easy for them to cut back. And that's where we've seen a, a lot of the large cuts. I mean, a, a broker can lay off 75% of an office or even shut the whole thing down uh, and not have, typically not have long-term ramifications versus an asset-based carrier. They bought the truck or have leased the truck and they're stuck with it. Uh, and even if they do lay off or trim the size of their fleet, they still have to have a finite number of safety resources, operational resources um, uh, to, to support their fleet. So it's not as easy for a fleet to downsize uh, when the market turns against them as it is a broker. Yeah, there's certainly more working against the carriers. Um, and to your point, you know, to your yeah, to your point, freight brokerages are effectively a bunch of, you know, people people, technology, and, uh, and some office space so that you can scale down the cost quickly. On the, on the carrier side, what we've seen is folks that are folks just getting creative around uh, diversifying their customer base. Actually, FreightWave did a great article on PAM Transport, which had historically been really heavy on automotive, covering how they've, they've made a conscious effort to diversify their customer base over the last, uh, over the last year or so. I mean, the current environment can be. I we, I believe it's an effort, an opportunity for everyone. It's an opportunity to do all the things that you've been talking about doing, and focus your strategy and diversify, um, and and cut the fat. But you you've got to execute on those decisions. I mean, do you think we see te technology acceleration? I mean, I know that's a big focus. Um, Ryan on your team wrote an op-ed piece a couple of weeks ago, just about the keep trucking announcement that they shut down their freight brokerage industry, DATs and truck stops uh, announcement of direct booking technology. One calls it book it now. The other calls it book now, which I haven't figured out uh, why they're called the same thing just without the it. I think Ryan had some, some commentary about that, but do you think this environment uh, creates opportunity and accelerates the technology inflection point? Oh, I, I think that I think that it I think that it certainly creates a burning platform. That's what we've what what what's been interesting in the conversations we've had with folks is that, like a lot of our a lot of what we help with is is really helping businesses transform their operating model to be more profitable um, and 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 better serve their customers. And this to me has created a burning platform. For that change, and I, I I do think that it that it helps breed, um, I think that it helps breed creativity to finding where you can cut where you can cut costs and drive automation in the business. So I, I mean, absolutely, and and from all the reports and conversations that we've had, 
the folks that have self-service platforms, like the Book It Now is implemented, uh, we've heard that that everyone is having, like, every week is another record-setting uh, week in terms of page views and engagement on their automation, on, on their self-service platforms. Because, because people are looking for capacity and people are looking for uh, for freight, for loads. Yeah, I imagine, you know, if, if I'm running a freight brokerage right now that has an automated platform, tr- carriers, their networks are completely broken down and they're looking for alternative freight sources that perhaps they hadn't considered before. So I imagine it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportune time for those applications and digital apps. But what happens to the broader freight brokerage industry? I mean, it's an industry that is really about human capital more or has historically been about human capital do you think that the 300,000 plus folks that are involved in freight brokerage the brokers themselves end up fading away over time or what where does that end up for those for those folks i think the ones who don't change their business who don't focus on changing their operating model uh will eventually die i mean it's I mean, we we have a, we have a saying that's basically like if you're if you're not changing, I mean, you know, what is it? If you're not changing, you're dying. And from our perspective, every business, particularly in the freight industry, is currently is dying, and it's just a matter of whether or not they're making the decisions uh, to to change that. I mean, we've talked about specifically in the freight brokerage market, everyone needs to prepare for a lower margin future. Like it is, it is going to happen and it's going to be driven by technology and automation. You can't, you just can't afford, you can't justify the payroll um, in, in the future. And so it's all about looking for where there's opportunities for efficiency in your business model. And that's where the Book It Now product comes in. I mean, I, I don't think that anyone's suggesting you should run your whole business on Book It Now, but use it for the hard to cover freight or use it. Use it for the for the really easy point A to point B, but the high touch, you know, you you want a more human touch, and that's fine. You can charge a higher margin on it, but 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 drive automation on the lower margin freight, um, and use that to help your bottom line. It's the only way to survive. Yeah, see, it, it reminds me of the travel agency uh, industry where. You know, if you're going on a uh, when I went had a uh, uh, my honeymoon in Bali and I wanted a bunch of sort of specialized local experiences for my wife, uh, I went to a travel agent that was local. Um, but when I book an airline ticket or a hotel room, I do that online. And that's sort of commoditized, standardized and very vanilla. I don't need a travel agent to do that. I can do it directly. Uh, it strikes me that that's probably where the freight industry ends up is the high volume, consistent moves that are you know, point to point uh, origin destination without any uh, specialized services are probably going to be commoditized by the platforms. Uh, whereas some of the sort of specialized on site, whether it's event logistics or perhaps uh, oil field coordination, I doubt right now there's no oil field coordination going on. But those types of things that require more specialized expertise are going to do much better uh, for freight brokers that understand how to manage projects. Uh, than what we see with the um, uh, the traditional just book something to move it. Yeah, I think that it's a great parallel. What's interesting is that you saw the big death of uh, of travel agencies, and they've started kind of making a comeback for specialized services. And I could actually, I could almost predict a similar path in the in the freight brokerage world, where we almost over rotate on self service and automation, and then and then there's an opportunity for high service, high touch. Uh, players to come back. 
Yeah, I, I, I think this is going to happen uh, pretty quickly. I mean, businesses that require uh, they have, you know, when it's mission critical for their business, I don't think that goes away. I think that that stays persistent. Um, but it's probably very fragmented in the initial phases. And then as as I think the market will go in two directions, one is uh, freight brokers, which have the internal human capital will start to evolve towards those project type experiences and and, and uh, work. Uh, the ones that have more digital will start to evolve to handling high volume, high frequency moves. And then the metal uh, ends up getting uh, consolidated out, unfortunately, for, for many of those people, because they are neither good at special projects nor have built the technology infrastructure to survive in a different environment. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, those are, those are the folks that are just still doing everything manually and, and even using a little bit of technology and, and having a core system in place isn't, isn't sufficient. I mean, we've been doing more consulting work with shippers on their overall supply chain strategy and, and specifically how they engage their transportation partners. And a trend that we've been seeing is, um, is twofold. One, they want to reduce the transportation providers that they want to work with, uh, which, which is just another kind of point on the scoreboard for consolidation. But the second is that Shippers, shippers want to architect their operating model and their transportation strategy independent of, of their capacity providers. And I think that that's a really interesting consideration for carriers and 3PLs and freight brokerages is how can you be as frictionless as possible for your customers uh, to do business with? And how do you make it easy for your business to adapt to their, to their needs? I, I don't think that that's I don't think that this industry has always operated with that as a core tenant historically. So, so Peter, you guys have coined two terms, um, which I hear uh, now uh, are, are, are statements that I hear uh, populate the industry. One is fire your TMS is one that I've heard. And the other is you've, you've coined the word DAT broker. And I'm curious if you can dive into why fire the TMS. Uh, and then I want to hear what a DAT broker is. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and I, I'm, I, I appreciate the credit. I'm not sure that we, I'll, I'll take the credit for it. Uh, there's certainly things that we talk about a lot. So, so, so here's our, here's our, here's our uh, position on TMS. We're, we're hard on TMS providers. The intention isn't to be hard on TMS providers, though. Like, at its core, a TMS really just means load execution software, and and load execution is software. Like we, we, we sell an off the shelf TMS evaluation straight from our website where we can, where we will, like we help with TMS evaluations all the time. What, what we have a pain point with is that the TMS providers have said yes to everything that their customers have asked them to. And as a result, most of the large TMS providers do way more than load execution. And the challenge is that they've actually evolved to the point where they're not really great with anything. I mean, you, you, you go to a TMS and it's got a rating module and a billing module and an accounting module and a CRM, like by Salesforce, somebody else has already fixed the CRM problem. Um, I think like the point that we really want to make is that one and done decisions, like you don't need to, to pick a single TMS and go all in with them. Like, what, what we want to understand is that you don't have to buy one thing. Like load execution needs to be a part of the tech strategy, but not all of it. Like 
figure out your load execution and then buy the components and the, and the software providers that help with everything else. So for instance, like use, um, use some of the freight waves data and the sonar, uh, use some of the sonar data to help with things like your rating decision-making tree. Use, uh, use a parade.ai or a book it now or, or a truck stop or a dad product to help with some of the, uh, the automated matching. But like, don't go to a single provider and, and expect them to solve every problem because they're not going to be able to do everything well. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the rant. That's my rant on TMSs. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a component of on-premise technology. I mean, if you, particularly in the carrier side, I think brokers and 3PLs have an advantage because the type, there's a lot more options if all you're doing is booking freight and tracking freight and dealing with exceptions. When you're dealing with carriers, there are fewer options, but that's because the what they need is far more complicated. You know, they have to track the truck, they have to track the driver, they have to track the driver's CDL certificate. There's a lot more complications that go into managing a fleet and manage the uh, a brokerage business. Um, I'm curious, what, do you see anybody on the fleet side doing anything interesting uh, from a TMS perspective? Uh, I mean, I you know, Hunt, Hunt JB Hunt. It's it, it's hard to have a technology conversation about a large carrier and not talk about JB Hunt and. The what I think is most important about JB Hunt's strategy, and I also, I'd also, I'd, I'd say that Schneider has had a similar. Schneider kind of falls into this category too. Um, they realize that their AS four hundred, that that the mainframe technology that still runs their platform, is not going to help them be agile and make decisions and every, make decisions quickly and move quickly, like what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. The JB, like JB, what I what I give JB Hunt and Schneider a lot of credit for is that they've realized that they have to invest a lot of money in just getting off of their legacy platforms and building the unsexy foundation that enables all of the great innovation, like the Hunt 360. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I'm I'm curious where does all this end up for the technology vendors? And I and I agree with both Schneider. And JB Hunt. There's a few others. Uh, the asset-based guys have historically been the late adopters of technology. Uh, I yep. think the advantage that both JB Hunt and Schneider have is they've never really been capacity uh, mode specific. You know, JB Hunt is arguably the most important railroad customer in the country, and sure. Schneider is, has a similar model. Their logistics business has historically uh, outsized their trucking business, and so they're far more agile and mode agnostic than your typical asset-based carrier. Um, and so I, I completely agree with that, but I'm curious, the platforms, the load board business, um, the digital brokerage, where does all this end up? I mean, does, does TruckStop and DAT uh, continue to to manage their share? Do they get eaten up by Convoy and JB Hunt 360? Uh, where does all like how does the market look like in five years from your thoughts? Well, and this was you know you asked before around the the concept of of get off the DAT or a DAT broker. I mean, you know, from our perspective, if 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 you're a freight broker and you're not actually running, you're not actually focusing on building relationships with your carriers. Um, and you're not you're not actually kind of architecting your business to service both your customers and your carriers because they're both ultimately stakeholders. Um, you you will lose in the long run. So I, I think I think that there will be tremendous consolidation. I think the big players are going to get bigger. You'll you'll keep 
you'll have like big, big, big providers that can do that are multimodal and have all sorts of different specialized service capabilities within there. And, and, and their idea is, hey, their, their MO will be give us all of your freight and help let us help you manage it and operate it. I think that you're going to have some, some kind of mid-sized players that have niches, um, the specialized, the high touch that we've talked about. Um, and then, you know, th there may be a few basement brokers left, but I think, I think ultimately they'll, they'll also start to die off too, as the bigger players, as the bigger players get bigger and these digital and the digital marketplaces actually build out their footprint and get stronger on their offerings and go to markets. I do think that there will be of digital marketplaces. Um, what's interesting is just to think about the sequel, like how those, how those, uh, consolidations happen. Like, what does it look like for an echo to buy, uh, for like echo and truckstop.com to merge or, or a convoy to buy someone like echo, um, to, to give them access to some of the higher touch service offerings and capabilities. Like, th does it happen more like where, where there are people vertically integrating or is it more horizontal integration of, of just M and a happening of, of kind of like for like businesses. Now, why would, I mean, it seems it would, to me, it would seem inopportune for Echo and Truckstop to merge because if they do that, then Echo is effectively competing or this new formed entity is effectively competing with the very people that pay subscription-based revenues to to someone like Truckstop. I mean, why would you, why do you think that's where it ends up? Yeah, I'd say it's it's a good point. And I'd, I'd say I'm probably more bullish on like a Convoy Echo conversation than a than a truck stop echo because truck stop's been very explicit about how they how truck stop wants to be an in, in independent party in all of this and they want to just serve the industry um you start to blur the lines a little bit though when you get into to dfm and providing the capabilities for freight matching but do you really i mean if you think about it you know i we i look at the financial markets it was much the inspiration behind freightways when we started it and and I look at the Nasdaq and the New York Stock Exchange as the you know trading engine, the matching engine that drives most of the financial markets. But the brokers, the finan you know the the Goldman Sachs, the E Trades, the you know Bank of Americas, the you know the the small brokers, um, they're they're members of the exchange, but they're dependent upon that technology and it strikes me if i'm if i'm running truck stop that i can still do the matching i don't have to actually do the customer sourcing uh deal with the exceptions i can provide the platform why why do you think those those uh, lines have to blur well i i would say that there are i think that the challenge just becomes or the the question is where what does a broker consider as their business like is is a broker's business helping customers find capacity or is it or is it just finding customers and then where do they is where is truck stop potentially encroaching on that business i think that that's the question so to me i mean i i know that there are a lot of capacity providers that that see dfm offerings or capabilities as a risk or uh, or a, or competition to their freight brokerage business now i'd also say that those are those tend to be kind of scarcity mindset people rather than abundance mindset folks. Um, and I think, I mean, we, more... I, yeah, go ahead. 
in, in fairness, Peter, people said the same things about Freightways when we first came out is that by talking about what's happening, we're giving up the playbook. I mean, I've had numerous conversations uh, where people were adamantly against us writing, you know, bringing transparency to the market who are now huge advocates of what we're doing. And we're, you know, had gone on record in public settings of talking about how negative they felt about whether it's our news business or our data business and how that's going to, transparency is going to destroy the industry. These are large companies that frankly operate very efficiently and CEOs that I have a ton of respect for were still saying that. And all the time, I hear where they'll say, hey, I had this posi- I, I thought this of you guys. I now realize that we're in a much better position to take advantage of these technologies and this transparency than the other people. I underestimated how well positioned we were. And, and, it, and it strikes me that it's very similar with digital brokerage and digital matching, that if, if I'm a company that's agile, as you mentioned when we first started, who has the ability to not only absorb these technologies but know what they mean to their business – and how to win, I'm always going to have the advantage, regardless of whether everyone else knows my playbook. I mean, my business, Freightways business, is not that sophisticated. It's just not that hard. And running a media business just ain't hard. It's, it's. I mean, we're doing, I've learned this, I've grossed acted over the <laughs> past two to three years. It's not difficult to figure out what we do. It's the execution that's completely different than just the idea. And I think that's true in the digital matching business. It's just because TruckStop has a platform to match. They don't have the infrastructure to go out and source uh, direct shippers. They don't have the infrastructure to go out and, and manage the exceptions when those occur, nor would they want to. And then on, on another point from a valuation standpoint, why would their investors, which are getting an eight to 10 times revenue multiple on recurring revenue from a SaaS business, dilute that by going after a, uh, a business that trades at you know 12 times EBITDA? It just doesn't make sense to me. The math just doesn't make sense for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think that you've made a lot of, I think that you make a lot of really good points. And actually, like it's it's interesting. I mean, it's scarcity versus abundance mindset, right? It's the something that something that Freightways done has has done is bring transparency across this entire industry and market. And what we've found is that the the folks who lean in and participate are better served than those who say, "Hey, we're not going to participate in this data exchange." So I I, I am all for I am all for the mission and everything. Everything that you're speaking to, I think. The, but the, this doesn't think, stop at me. It, it's it's oh, every technology, right? I agree. It's it's, it's not, and I, and I only bring this because it's my own personal experience. But I mean, just in your own business, you're going out and consulting with all these companies. You're learning about their business. You're, you know, you probably have some of the same challenges in these conversations. I know you and I've had these conversations. Yeah, we have. And and it's interesting, like, again, it just goes back to uh, the folks who shared the folks who share data and share conversations and insights openly tend to be the winners because it's not to your point, Craig, it's not about it's not about the ideas. It's about the execution. So I, I agree I mean, with everything. You're saying. 
I have a ton of respect for uh, what Dan Lewis is doing at Convoy, a ton of respect for uh, the folks at JB Hunt, you know, really uh, under Shelly that, that are leading the 360 platform. Arguably, they're not transformative in terms of these miraculous secret businesses that nobody knows how they work. We, we know how Convoy works. We know how JB Hunt 360. But both of them have a massive lead in their respective markets. It's all execution. I don't think there's anything mysterious about why JB Hunt 360 works, and there's nothing mysterious about Convoy's business model. But they are working exceptional because they've executed on it in ways that no one else has. So then the question, so then a question I'd love your input on is, do you think that that the truck stop book it now product enables other companies to catch up to those to catch up or are they or are they so far ahead? No, I think it it I, I, I think there's two types of I think what it does is it allows those small and independent uh, brokers to and even larger brokers to have a platform where they can operate in a digital environment. Um, I think much like financial markets where, you know, the 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 my financial broker stockbroker um, or stockbrokers did not completely go away. They evolved to doing things like wealth management, helping people design and plan for retirement, perhaps dealing with some more obscure trading products. Uh, but the idea of making three percent for picking up the phone and executing a trade is is gone. It's basically now zero to trade stocks. And I think freight margins, gross margins, as you mentioned when we first started this conversation, the 12 to 18 percent gross margin is absurd when you think about the fact that most large markets, and this market is among the biggest in the world, uh, most large markets uh, are talking, uh, their brokerage businesses are talking less than 1 percent. We're talking you know, 10 basis points for a trade on a commodity, uh, the, you know, the, the freight brokerage is getting 12 to 18 percent. I think that goes away. You mentioned it to start with. I think what the platforms do, whether it's book it now or book now, depending on your preference, uh, what they end up doing is they end up enabling the smaller brokers that perhaps wouldn't have the resources to invest in it to continue to survive and perhaps thrive by pivoting their business models. What it also does is it lets that highly commoditized, standardized freight, and the type of freight that's moving right now, grocery, consumer packaged goods, it lets the traditional freight broker uh, manage that business in a marketplace, in an exchange. And they may not make a lot of money on it, but they're uh, at the seat of the table for those exception and project-based businesses, which is really what freight brokers do today, except they tend to insource their own capacity. I think this just starts to migrate it where they're going to take a booking fee in the future. Maybe they take a payment fee, but that's it. They're not going to make the 12 to 18% margins. I, I, I subscribe to the Ravi Schenker world that we're going to see you know, sub 5% margins in the next decade. I don't know that I agree with everything that Robbie uh, uh, writes, but I do agree with that uh, freight brokerage margins as we know them have to come down with that highly standard commoditized freight. I mean, I, I like, I, I, I agree with, uh, I think that those are great points and it's really just about how, I think a takeaway from this is that the concept of DFM has been commoditized. The, the the concept of digital freight ma freight matching is just another. It's becoming table stakes. That's the expectation, yeah. and that 
you you can't you can't survive as a as an intermediary of the future without it. But I think you know it's interesting. We've talked a lot about Con. We talked a lot about JB Hunt three hundred and sixty. I think the thing that except separates them from the rest of the world is that in their respective markets, in in their parts of the of the supply chain, they both keep innovating. They both keep releasing new features that seem incremental on the surface but are solving big issues, but they keep doing it. They don't stop with one. And I think what we've seen, it's interesting, the truck stop DAT conversation is interesting to me because four years ago, it felt like truck stop was the big, I mean, a DAT was the big dominant brand. And really in the last 12 months, we've seen an erosion of that uh, sort of dominance where it seems like truck stop is now uh, creating a lot of new innovations and releases uh, on, a, on a consistent cadence. Well, it's, I mean, truck stop has, I give a lot of credit to the truck stop leadership team. I mean, they've really honed in on what's their go to market, what's the product offering, what are the customer segments that they're going to offer or that they're going to serve and and what's the right combination of their offerings to best serve those customers. Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, we don't have longer. We've actually gone 10 minutes longer than what uh, they had scheduled us at. So I'm probably going to have to, Emily's probably going to get mad at me for not adhering to my time scheduling, but it's a it's a fascinating conversation. Peter, how do people reach out to Carrier Direct uh, if they want to get, reach out to you personally or if they want to get the Carrier Direct uh, team involved in thinking about their business and how they survive and thrive in the future? Yeah, thanks, Craig. So we, we love talking to people. Um, we're fairly, fairly active on LinkedIn, uh, Peter Rentschler, and then you can go to our website, uh, carrierdirect.com, C-A-R-R-I-E-R-D-I-R-E-C-T. Um, all of our personal contacts info, we've got some contact forms and some more, more information available there. And then also, you can also see some of our content on our website and then also on FreightWaves. Well, Peter, thanks for the time. We're going to have to do this again. It was a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, um, uh, we, we, we don't have more time for this, but I'm sure we'll be get, get together in the future. Have, have, a good, uh, have a good evening, and uh, thanks for tuning in to Freightways Live at home. We have another set of conversations tomorrow along with more demos. All of this uh, content is available on demand, so be sure to tune in to Freightways TV. You can tune in on uh, tv.freightways.com. Also, all of the content is available on the Apple TV, Roku devices, and other streaming platforms. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.